Please be seated. It is well with my soul. And what a beautiful hymn uh, to sing and the peace with God. Uh, if I may, just uh, for those of you who don't know, just a very quick update. In the last uh, couple of weeks since I saw you last, uh, it's been a bit tricky. Uh, Bev, um, my darling Bev, has uh, had difficulty breathing. Um, the short story is she ended up in Flinders a week ago, had three litres of fluid drained from her lung. Uh, and uh, in the midst of all that, uh, I got dragged off to hospital and had kidney stones. I was in the hospital for two days. The guy that collected me, brought me out of hospital, uh, gave me COVID. Uh, he was infected. <laughs> so... So I haven't been any help to Bev at all. Uh, so she got taken off in an ambulance. And uh, the sad thing is that basically we saw the oncologist this week and he is saying that uh, the cancer has spread, it's become very aggressive, and he did offer some further treatment, but Bev has decided not to, uh, which I totally support. So uh, she will be going on to palliative care, so she'll be home, and uh, we're in God's hands. So thank you so much for those that do know and have been praying. Uh, it's been a, an interesting couple of weeks, as you can imagine, but um, it is well with my soul, and uh, I can honestly say Bev is at peace, uh, which is great. She's a lady of great faith, and uh, many of you have been through these difficult times, so you know... Uh, what it's like and so uh, thank you for those that can pray and uh, the support in that respect so that's where we're at uh, and it's important this is family to share that no point sort of gilding the lily uh, it's rough so in light of that uh, I was just reading yesterday and, and uh, uh, a dear friend of mine gave me this book recently it's by a gentleman called Paul David Tripp it's called New Morning Mercies. I've quoted from this before. And it's just a daily devotional. But he majors on grace. And he is, uh, he's just, he writes so beautifully. And I just thought, trying to get some perspective here, what things are going on. And it's entitled about corporate worship. And it's very relevant, I think, to our gatherings. Corporate worship is a regular, gracious reminder that it's not about you. You've been born into a life that is a celebration of another. And you think about the season we're coming into. Corporate worship is a celebration that serves as a very important reminder for us all. We gather together to celebrate the one who created, controls, and sits at the centre of all things. Every biblical worship service is guided and shaped by the words of Paul in Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The final verse says it all. It's not only a prescription for every worship service, but it also a powerful statement about life, what life is all about. And that beautiful hymn, wasn't it so reflects that. It is well with my soul. Life is not about us. It is not about our wants, our needs, or our feelings. It's not about our comfort, pleasure, and ease. It's not about getting our personal definition of happiness. It's not about our satisfaction or contentment. It's not about how many of our dreams we actually get to experience. It's not about our successes and achievements. It's not about how successful, successively we avoid difficulty and suffering. It's not about how well our relationships are working. It's not wrong to desire personal happiness, peace and a healthy body and healthy relationships. The issue is this. These things must not rule our hearts because when they do... They place us at the centre of our world and make it all about us. It is sad that many people, even profession Christians, live in a way that is God-forgetting and God-replacing. We put ourselves in the centre. We decide for ourselves what we want life to be like and we reduce God to little more than the delivery system for our catalogue of self-orientated dreams. 
It's pretty hard-hitting stuff, isn't it? Mm. So corporate worship calls us back again and again to remember and to celebrate. It calls us to remember that all exists, including us, is from God, exists through him and points to him. He is the beginning, the centre and the end of all things. His will is preeminent and will be done. His kingdom will come. Grace decimates our lordship and causes us to bow to the one true Lord. It is only by grace that we celebrate a lordship other than our own. Corporate worship points us to our need for and the availability of that grace. Isn't that beautifully said? It's not about us. It's all about him. So let's stand together and just simply let us pray together the prayer that the Lord Jesus taught us, which centres us entirely again around all those things. We come to worship the living God who is the centre. To him, for him, and by him all things were made. So let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. Think on these things. Amen. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, man. Morning, church. Uh, I've, uh, for those, if, if you're watching online, perhaps for the first time, my name's Sam Barnes. I'm the pastor here at the Hills Christian Family Centre. And uh, my, my prayer is that you'd be blessed this morning. Um, once again, as we go through the prayers, as we go through the songs that were prepared, as we go through the thoughts that were spoken, the Lord has been at work um, uh, because it all just fits all in together so so wonderfully and so beautifully. And so on that, I know that the Lord's still going to be ministering uh, to you and to your hearts this morning uh, as we, we go through this morning. So I've woken up this morning with a, a little bit of a lurgy. So I'm going to push through that and see how we go. Um, and just a comment to make Andrew, we don't put up Christmas tree lights because it's always daylight savings at Christmas and our kids are so little that they don't ever get to view them. So sometimes we come home late at night, it's like, oh, Christmas tree lights, kids, check that out. <laughs> uh, if you are new or... Uh, if you've been sitting with us, you know that we've been going through the book of Acts. And the whole point, uh, right from the very beginning of doing this teaching series, was that it fits in with what we felt like the God, that God was calling us to as a church, of making a difference in our lives and in the world. And as we look at the, the book of Acts, we see the early church, we see the disciples, we see the Holy Spirit uh, impacting lives and, and making a difference and really uh, transforming not only hearts but whole regions. And last week we, we saw that happen. Uh, we're in the middle of um, Acts. Are we, oh, sorry. We got the PowerPoint. Oh. And last week uh, we're in the, the middle of the third missionary journey of Paul. And what's really interesting to note is that really the the third missionary journey is unlike the, the first two that, Paul, that Luke describes. Luke goes into great detail in every city and town about people that they met and the things that occurred. But really, the third missionary journey, Luke really concentrates and hones on Paul's time at Ephesus, which is here in the middle of uh, what we call Asia Minor, the Bible calls Asia. And... Really, a lot of his uh, writings is, is I'm going to say, this, this isn't rude, but yada, 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 yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then we get to Ephesus, and then he, he really concentrates on what's going on. And then yada, 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 he went there, 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 and he, we, we, these people went and yeah, met those. And then now we're back at Ephesus again. And really that's what we see happening here as we get to, again, chapter 20. We've left Ephesus. Uh, there's been a riot 
due to Paul's preaching, uh, that the, the people are, are upset that the little trinkets to the goddess Diana are, are not going to make money and there's, there's a riot. And so um, Paul leaves. And now we're going to skip over the yada, yada, yada bit. We're actually going to go to one other place that Luke describes what happens on his journey. And it's a funny story. I mentioned this last week. As a preacher, I've got to say, this is probably right up there as one of the funniest stories in the Bible. Uh, see if you see the humour in it. But I'm going to ask a question. Why did Luke put this, this story in? When he was glazing over all of these other journeys and places that they went, and his folks were like, why does, why does he talk about this story? Maybe, maybe they thought it was funny too, and they recount <laughs> what happened. But on the, on the first day, that is Sunday, so the early church are meeting on Sunday to break bread in their homes together. On the first day of the week, we came together, and now it's back to the we, so Luke is now with them again. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. So his, his journey is going to go on. But he wants to say some stuff, so he just keeps talking and keeps talking. Now, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. So when there's lamps on, it draws in the oxygen, so it's a bit stuffy and it gets a bit hot. And seated at the window, probably a good place to be in that situation, was a young man. So the word there, probably 8 to 12 years old, uh, named Eutychus. Now, interesting, Eutychus means fortunate. Just think about that as you go along. Who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on and on and on. Now, some of you might think that I talk on and on and on, but it's nothing in comparison to all the way through till midnight. And when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. So obviously Paul's uh, effect and preaching did wonderful things to this young man. But Paul went down and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, so not only till midnight, he's going to keep going on now. So this, this thing happens, this guy falls out the window and he just sees this as like a minor sort of intrusion to his preaching. Like, okay, let's just heal him now and get him there. Okay, now, as I was saying, the, the, the <laughs> and he's talking until daylight, until he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now, what's interesting is that he doesn't talk about anything on his way to Ephesus he talks about who his travel companions were all the way back through Berea, Thessalonia, back to Corinth, and now he's back at, at, at Troas, and he talks about this Paul restoring young Eutychus, and then today we're going to be on this, this um, island of Miletus. But really that's the only, only sort of more information on this, this missionary journey. Now... I asked the question, why throw that story in there? And I, I believe it's this. If you know your Old Testament and stories in the Old Testament, you know that the prophet Elijah, when uh, Elijah, when he uh, restored the son's widow, how did he raise him to life? He threw himself on the boy. He stretched himself out and laid on, on top of him. And that's in 1 Kings. In 2 Kings, Elisha, Elijah's second in line, he does exactly the same thing. It says, he laid on his body, mouth to mouth, hands to hand, feet to feet, and he did it three times. And what I believe that Luke's trying to say here is that the God, the Holy Spirit of the Old Testament prophets is the same God that empowers Paul. And it is the same God that empowers you and I today. We are not uh, somehow removed from the narrative and the story of God's work in the world. As we read through the Old Testament and are, are wowed by the stories and the amazing way that God uh, does, does amazing things through the prophets, through Jesus' own life, as we read through the book of Acts and we see P- 
Peter, we see Philip, we see others, and we now see Paul do uh, uh, wonderful things. He's saying to you and I, this, this Paul is connected to the same spirit. It's connected to the same God. And we are also infilled and, and empowered by the same spirit. So be encouraged that these aren't isolated stories. These aren't things that just, oh, the early church did this and the early church did that. But now we take up that mantle and we take up that same unfinished story of Acts and we continue the book of Acts as we live out our lives and we see things and we stretch out our lives upon the lives of others and, and transform lives around us. And so that story happens, but Paul is now anxious to get to Jerusalem. Uh, it says there in Acts that he, he doesn't want to actually go back to Ephesus because he loves the church so much. There's, there's a real community there. He's been there for two years teaching uh, in the house of Tyrannus. And, and he doesn't want to go back there because he feels like, oh, he'll be invited to that person's house for tea and then that person and then, and then he won't actually get to Jerusalem uh, by Passover, uh, by Pentecost, which is when he wants to get back there. And so what he does is he asks the elders, the leaders of the Ephesian church to meet him at the island. Uh, so they have to come to him so that he can just greet them, he can give them instruction, and then he can be on his way to Jerusalem. So why is Paul really eager to get there? Well, one, he is a Jew, and he has a love for his own people, and he has a heart's desire, he has tears in his eyes to want to preach to his own people and to see them come to faith in Christ. Secondly, we know through other uh, New Testament writings that he's actually taken up a collection through all those towns, uh, Thess- Thessalonica, Corinthians. He's been taking up a collection for the Jerusalem church. Now, if you remember back in the, the first parts of Acts, the, the disciples, they, did, they sold everything. They sold property. They, they gave away everything they had. And now they're in need. <laughs> and so Paul is actually taking up a collection of of the Gentile world to bless the Jewish world. Isn't that an interesting thing? And to, so he's probably got lots of coins in his pocket and they're heavy. And so he's wanting to get to, to Jerusalem. So he's, he's in haste. So yada, 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 yada. Go to verse 17. From Miletus, that's the island there, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, Now, we have eight sermons, messages from Paul in the book of Acts uh, to different people. Uh, He would be talking to Jews, he'd be talking to Gentiles, he'd be talking to uh, the government officials, Uh, he would be talking evangelistically, he would be talking uh, apologetically in Athens. But now, this is a pastoral message. This message in the book of Acts is to the leaders of Ephesus and therefore to the Christians. All of his other messages were to non-Christians. This message that he gives is to Christians. And so this is a pastoral message and therefore we can glean from this. We can um, find uh, hope and truth in this as he writes to those leaders. He's actually writing to you and I. If we want to be effective in our lives, if we want to Uh, model the life of Paul, then these are great words to look at and to be encouraged by. He says, first of all, and they're in kind of movements, they're in little, if you're teaching your kids to write essays, you know, you you do your little, little paragraphs. And his first paragraph, he talks about his own life as an example to live by. He says, you know, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came. His life is a public life. It is not hidden behind closed doors. They saw him. They were with him. They lived with him. So they saw his ministry and his life. And so it is with us in our Christian lives is to be a public life. Have you ever been in a situation in a group where um, you know, it's mentioned that you're a believer or a person of faith and all of a sudden everyone's eyes are on you because they're interested, they want to watch, what does that mean? 
they're, they're eager to sort of see what it is. And most people want to see a sermon, not just hear a sermon. And so it is with us and it was with Paul. He was, he was out there and later on he says house to house, living all of his life in, in public. And our Christian lives should be the same in public as they are in private. There should be no differentiation between the way we live and the, the things that we do in the public realm as well as in the private realm. And so the first thing is it's public. And then verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility. Our life is to be a humble life. It is not to be life-making about ourselves and our achievements and what we can do, but Paul was definitely a humble man with tears and in the midst of severe testing. Third thing is that it's going to be hard. We saw Paul's life everywhere he went. He came up with opposition. Everywhere he went, he, he was hassled. Everywhere he went, he was, he was stoned. He was beaten. He was thrown in prison. The Christian life does not guarantee safety and comfort and happiness. It actually is the opposite. Yet he is our, our hope in the midst of it and our peace in the midst of the, those trials and, and tribulations. And we talked about that. Nadine beautifully said about that before we sang that hymn. Verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would, not, would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and house to house going into people's houses. It's not just you come to me behind closed doors, but he's living his life, and so our life should be like that, Live involved in each other's lives, house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn from God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Everywhere that Paul went, he preached different ways to different people. He preached to Jews, he preached to Greeks, he spoke to government authorities. But in each situation, the message remained the same. We don't change our message depending on who we're talking to. It says, I have declared that they must, one, turn to God in repentance. There he confronts sin. Repentance simply means we were once living our lives apart from God, had our backs turned to God. Repentance is acknowledging that and saying sorry and turning around and, 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 and saying, I'm going to now live for God. And each and every one of us are called to repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here he combats anything to do with works, anything that is uh, our earning our favour, uh, us doing what we can to, to get into God's good books. It's, it's not about that. It's about our faith. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so the message remains the same. So as we go out our daily lives, as we meet with our neighbours and friends, our spheres of influence, our message should remain the same. And then into verse 22. Now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I'm going to go into that a bit later on. However, even though hardships are facing Paul, sometimes we wonder, how does he go on? Everywhere he goes, he's beaten up. Every, so, I mean, if this was me, you'd, you'd think, okay, that's enough, Lord. Now it's time for a, you know, retire under the, the tree at this island and, and li live my comfortable life. But he keeps going and he actually has the vision to go to Jerusalem even though he knows that suffering awaits him there. And he says this amazing verse, however... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. There it is again. A very Pauline uh, comment there. 
He often talks about running the race, finishing the task set before him. Um, in fact, as he writes to, to Tim, he writes to Timothy from prison in Rome, he's in chains, and he writes these words, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now, my hope is that each and every one of us might be able to mirror the words of Paul to Timothy there and, and here in, as he speaks to these Ephesian elders, that our life is not our own. Our life is not about us, but our life is about our connection to Christ and our serving him and our following him. So then on to verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Interesting statement. I don't know how Paul knew this, but he was speaking to the Ephesians. He said, I'm not going to see you again. Maybe he just knew what was ahead of him. Some say that there's some writings that say that he did travel to Ephesians after his time in Rome. Maybe those elders weren't necessarily there. They've gone off to plant churches. But his heart breaks because he's not going to see his friends again. See the, the community, the pastoral heart, the sense of love that's there in this Ephesian church. The heart's breaking because they're not going to see him again. But then he says these words, Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. Now, interesting, because I've not hesitated or shrunk away to proclaim the whole will of God. Now, some of your translations would say the whole counsel of God there. What he's doing here is he's borrowing from imagery that we see in Ezekiel 33, where the watchman would blow the trumpet when the invading armies would come. And if the watchman sees the army coming and doesn't blow the trumpet to warn the people that the army's coming and, and someone's life is taken in the camp, that person will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. So Paul's borrowing this imagery and he's saying, I have warned you, I have taught you the whole counsel of God. I've told you about sin, I've told you about grace, I've told you... Uh, everything there is to know about God and his will for you. Therefore, because I've, I've warned you, I'm innocent of anyone who doesn't then come to faith in Christ. But he says, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you. Now, I love the translations that says shrink away. Have you ever been in a situation again? Maybe you're in a group situation and it's known to you that you're a person of faith or you go to church and you feel yourself shrinking away from the conversation. Uh, take encouragement from Paul's words here where he did, not hes- he did not shrink away, but he stood in the face of that opposition to proclaim the whole counsel of God. Now, here is not talking about the whole Bible, obviously, because most of it's not written yet but the, the, the word of God that is the same throughout all of the scripture. And then a warning to them and a warning to us as a church. Keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds, that's the word for pastor, of the church of God, which he bought by his own blood. This is his church that he bought with his own blood. We don't, we don't come to Sam's church or so-and-so's church, but we come to Jesus' church that he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples away after them. So be on your guard. And this is a word again for us in our lives to be on our guard for people who might want to distort the truth, to distort the gospel, to distort the whole counsel of God. We love 
hearing the things that are encouraging and build us up and are, are lovely and fluffy. But perhaps sometimes we're uncomfortable with the things that challenge us. And that's the whole counsel of God. And I think one of the, the good things about preaching through uh, verse by verse in, in a book is we can't skip over the uncomfortable bits. And we have to be challenged by what Jesus says, what God's purposes are and his doctrine is in terms of what it means to live out the Christian life. Some of those things are hard. Some of those things are tough. But it's not about what we think. It's about what God thinks. And even today, people will challenge and people will distort and people will twist the truth of Scripture to try and fit in with their own ideologies or making them feel comfortable about perhaps their own behaviour or their own world view. Only last week I was... I fielded a phone call that came, came through the church of a, of a person who, who asked some very challenging questions about what we as a church believe. And they started to get upset and angry with the fact that I said, well, I hold to what I believe is a biblical worldview and what I believe God in his, in his, in his scripture has laid out for us and the church. And some things, sometimes those maybe don't agree with us But if we're under the authority of Scripture and we're under the supremacy of God and his will for us, then we had to align ourselves to that. And that can be tough. To which this person said, well, that's your interpretation and this is my interpretation and you're you're evil and and all of that sort of thing. There, There are people that challenge and come and try to twist the word of God. And so this is a warning to us as a church to hold on to the truth the truth that the early church proclaimed and that Paul is now reminding the Ephesian elders that it is not about works, it is not about myself, it is all about Christ and his grace to us. And we see that the Ephesian church did well in warning, uh, in, in, in taking that. If, if you read Revelation 2, the Lord says, you've done well in... Um, seeing the false prophets that come and testing them. And uh, the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, a lot of it is about dealing with these people that are coming and trying to twist the gospel. And so the Ephesian church did that well. And now, verse 32, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Paul didn't say, I commit you to myself or I commit you to the person coming after me or I commit you to the Pope, or I commit you to the pastor of the church, which is going to be Timothy, who's going to be sent there. He says, I commit you to God and to his word. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all set and and saved by the spirit of God. And so he commits them and he commits you and I, and I want to commit you at the end of this to God and to his word of grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are satisfied. And then he goes on to talk again, the humility. I've not coveted anyone's silver, gold or clothing. It's not about wealth. I've worked with my hands. In everything I did, I showed you this, the kind of hard work that might help serve the weak. So now we come into our service Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If we wanted a Christmas message, there it is. It is better to to give than to receive. Now, it's interesting that Paul says that these are the words of the Lord Jesus. But if you go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you won't actually find Jesus saying these words. So you might go, well, did Jesus actually say that? Well, Paul said that he said it, (laughs) and there was a lot that was said by Jesus that wasn't recorded in the Gospels. In fact, in John 21, at the end of John's Gospel, he says, and Jesus did many other things that were not recorded in this book. If if we did record everything he did, there there wouldn't be enough books to, (laughs) to store all of the information. So Jesus says it's better, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And now we see this beautiful picture of community. 
this sense of love and connection between Paul and the Ephesian church. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship and they saw him set sail for Jerusalem. I'm reminded here of the the disciples at the Mount of Transfiguration as, as Jesus parts his last words. There's tears in their eyes. They're not going to see Jesus again, but Jesus leaves them and he promises another the comforter, the Holy Spirit, and Paul's going to, he's, he's trusting that the Spirit is going to look after them and send Timothy to, to be the pastor there. But there's this, this sense of the disciples being grateful and thankful for the faith that Jesus has given them. And then, then they see him go off. And now here these Ephesian Christians are thankful and grateful for the faith that Paul has given them. And now they see Paul head off to Jerusalem. But I just want to finish by heading back to this statement that Paul knew what was ahead of him in Jerusalem. Every town that he went to, people warned him about, what was awaiting him, that he was going to be in chains, he was going to be arrested, that, um, yeah, that, 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 was, that was coming. And, and even before this, that happens. But if, if you've got your Bibles, we've got, we've got time, flick over to Acts chapter 21. We're not going to be heading into this as we, as we preach. Verse 4, finding the disciples there now in, in Tyre, we stayed there and served them for days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But he was determined. So again, they, they, they said, don't go. Suffering awaits you. We, we, don't, don't, don't go there. And then a prophet comes in verse 10. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet came down from Judea and coming over us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, this is the way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand them over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm not bound, but I am, I am persuaded that I am going to go. And we might ask the question, well, if the Spirit is saying that this is going to happen, Paul, and if all of his friends and the Christians in every town, the, the prophets, they're all saying, this is what awaits you, don't go there, please don't, and Paul's still determined to go on ahead. Wow, is, is Paul disobedient to the Spirit? Or is Paul understanding that the Spirit is just giving him a picture, a window into the suffering that is to come and that he needs the grace of God to go forward and into it? Because it's in that context that Paul says this most amazing statement. Suffering and hardship is before me, even, even death. However, despite that, I consider my, worth, my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Man, if we ever needed a mission statement for our lives, or you want to write up a verse on your mirror in the morning as you're brushing your teeth, consider this one. I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. Paul knew of God's grace in his life. He was a mean, nasty fellow out to kill the Christians. And Jesus met him and transformed his life and gave him grace. And he experienced that grace day after day after day after day. And it was the motivating factor for him 
the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. If we can't get hold of the gospel day after day, his grace in our lives, coming, meeting together, having the word preached over us, again being reminded of his love and his grace, man, how are we ever going to face any hardship? How are we ever going to be able to, with Paul, say, I consider my life worth nothing to me unless we're compelled by and, and motivated by the grace of God in our hearts? And so I came across this this morning as I was flicking through Facebook. Isn't it amazing how God works? And I don't care if you're five or 105, God from all eternity chose you to be where you are at this time in history to change the world. That's what life's about. Because the greatest treasure is the peace of God that he's given us. Because the rest is all going to fade away. My life is not about my achievements, about business that I build or the, the house and the car or anything of that. My life, can I say the same statement that Paul said, that I consider it nothing, but about living for Christ and testifying to God's grace in my life. And so when, when Mike said that it's not, uh, that life is not about us, it's not about our wants, our needs, our feelings, it's not about our comfort, our pleasure, our ease, it's not about getting our personal definition of happiness, it's not about our satisfaction or contentment. Imagine if Paul said, okay, I'm done, now I'm going to go live a life of ease and contentment under a tree somewhere. It's not about how many of our dreams we actually get to experience. It's not about our success and our achievements. It's not about how successfully we avoid difficulty and suffering. It's not about how well our relationships are working. Our life is about him. As, as Mike shared he received some news this week that wasn't news that he wanted to hear. And many of you know there's another, um, another couple in our church who also received some news this week that has been incredibly difficult for them to hear about health and sickness in bodies. And I've just found it really interesting that both parties in talking with them, had this, this sense of Paul's statement, even though this is before us, our life is not our own. Our life is not about what we achieve. We're, it is well with our soul. We have grace and peace in our lives. And sometimes that sort of news really brings to head and really challenges us. What is my life about? What do I do day to day? How do I prioritise the things of God in my life? I think all of the songs that we sung today all speak to that. Isn't God amazing? Friends, as Paul spoke to the Ephesians, he encouraged them to run the race, to live your life for him, to not be wanting to do your life for yourself. I'm going to invite the um, musicians up. We're going to head into a time of communion together, but I want to just read from Philippians. This is, again, Paul writing pretty much the same thing that he was saying to the Ephesians and that we might read this as a preparation for coming to communion together. 
But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever I achieved, whatever thing I amounted for myself, I consider it a loss. Nothing compared to knowing Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Man, some of us are losing some things right now. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, no works that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. There it is again. His message did not change. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, our belief and our trust in Jesus. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings. He sure did. Becoming like him to his death. And so somehow that's not saying I don't know how it's going to happen. It's just saying it's just an amazing thing, isn't it? That I'm going to attain resurrection from the dead because of Christ. That's what Christ did for the Ephesian church. It's what Christ did for Paul. It's what Christ did for you and for me. That on that cross as he died, he took upon our sin the heavy weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulders and he suffered an awful death. He gave up his life in order that you and I might have true life and life everlasting, that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. He shed his blood for the church, gave himself up, that we might receive peace with God. Once we were aliens, once we were far from him, once there was a gap. But Jesus on that cross has bridged that gap, has brought us back into relationship, back into peace with him. What an amazing thing Jesus has done for us. And so that we know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the, supper, in the, after the supper, in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's favour. Whenever we eat and drink, we proclaim the Lord's grace. Whenever we eat and drink, we proclaim the Lord's love. Whenever we eat and drink, we proclaim what the Lord has done for us. It's not about us, it's about faith in him. And so we're going to sing the, the band here. I'm going to serve the band, um, the bread and the wine, and they're going to sing the first verse of this song. As you guys come up, we're going to invite... Uh, this group first head out to the wall um, come and receive and then head back and then you guys too you come and receive and then I want us to stand together and to sing this song that I think fits so perfectly in with this morning about living our life not I but Christ in me it's not about me it's not about my achievements it's about living for him Lord Jesus we thank you for your life sacrificed for us. We thank you that that grace has been granted to us and because of faith in you, we can have peace with God. And that like Paul, many of us are facing stuff and trials, and but we can go through that knowing that you are with us, that you have not left us or forsaken us. And that as we come to eat and to drink, to partake in uh, your meal, would you speak to us and remind us of your love? Would that grace again motivate our hearts so that we, like Paul, might say, 
I consider my life nothing, only that I might finish the task that he has prepared for me to do, to proclaim the goodness and the grace of God. Lord, might that be our prayer this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. really sense the beauty of um, Jesus and who he is in our lives just in that last song and we've heard from people this morning sharing really really deep things and uh, just so thankful that we can come together and support each other and love each other as the church so thank you Sam thank you Mike thank you everyone who's participated at home and here today I just pray God would bless you throughout the rest of the day and that yeah, he'll just give you that peace and guide you in your thoughts as you think about what your life is and how you want to live it. So may you be blessed today and join us for a coffee if you're here and the prayer room is always available as well. Thank you.